Welcome to Design Your Life, a podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today began cutting hair at the age of 11, and by 19 owned his first salon. Over the next decade, he traveled across Europe cutting the hair of various elite clientele before meeting passionate environmentalists and now partner, Willina Sirocco. Together, they moved to Australia and combined their interest in hairdressing and the environment. In 2015, they established a recycling business called Sustainable Salons Australia. The program collects up to 95% of the salon's waste bin and repurposes it in various ways, such as using hair to help clean oil spills or turning old salon bottles into sunglasses. The program has gone from strength to strength since its inception, being awarded Best Business Service of the Year in 2016 and given a special recognition award at the 2017 Australian Hair Industry Awards. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me, Vince. It's really cool that you're here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I feel oh. like this is my dream office. Every time I walk in here, I'm like, oh, this is where I, this is how I dream my office should be. <laughs> we can come anytime you want and hang out here. Um, you talked at a, a, an event recently for Woolworths that we were part of a sustainable um, launch campaign that they're doing. And the thing that struck a chord with me was your sustainable salons approach, but also what you kept saying was you you actually are focusing on above ground mining. Yeah. Um, we'll come come to that in a second. But kind of how did you how did it all come about? How did you start this uh, this organization? Oh, look, uh, the the short version or the long version, right? So uh, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable. <laughs> with. Well, let me let me take it back a little bit. So I, I've been a hairdresser all my life since the age of eleven. Uh, from a very young age, very um, dyslexic. I couldn't read very well. Failed through school. Uh, I had to leave school at about 14, I never got to finish year 10 and I was kind of thrown into hairdressing uh, where I really didn't like it at first but grew to love it over the over the years and uh, hairdressing ended up taking me all around the world. Uh, so to fast forward a little bit to my uh, what I call my Amsterdam life because I did go to Amsterdam for two weeks and ended up living there for the next eight years and wow. uh, and yeah, Amsterdam can do that too. Yeah. But uh, basically, it's where I met my partner, Evelina. Uh, Evelina was uh, studying fashion sustainability at the time, and uh, it really caught my eye what she was what she was uh, putting together with with clothing. So let me give you an example. Like she was uh, building um, a supply chain around your barcode. So your T-shirt has basically a life. And through your barcode, you can go find out that life. And that life could be right back to who planted the seed, who sewed it together. And you now get the full supply chain of a product. And it really blew my mind that she could do that. And today we now know that more as blockchain. We're seeing blockchain technology coming out a lot more. So uh, this is going back 2008. And uh, basically I was like, well, let's focus on the hairdressing industry. There seems to be a lot of problems happening in the hairdressing industry. Why don't we just focus on this? And she, uh, she definitely said, okay, well, let's start looking at it. Uh, fast forward a little bit more, uh, Evelina wanted to come and see Australia and uh, as a Belgium I knew this was very dangerous because I wanted to live in Amsterdam now, I was very comfortable there and <laughs> we arrived in Australia and within about two hours she's like, I think her words were, now that I've landed, promise me we'll never go back to Belgium. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And she's like, oh, I love it already, look at the blue wow. sky, the beaches. And I'm like, okay, so uh, we've never gone back since, but uh, and it's, I'm completely fine with it. And uh, basically, uh, we we set out on a journey to study salon waste. Uh, we studied 160 hair salons waste bins first to just get an idea of what was going through their bins. And some alarming numbers that we saw were like, for example, women that colour their hair with foil. We found out that over a million kilos of foil was going to landfill yearly. 
for the last 15 years. Whoa. And I don't know, do you know much about aluminium recycling? No, uh, I do not. Aluminium can be recycled infinitely. It's like gold and silver. Wow. So why do we throw it away? So it doesn't break down Never each time you do it. 500 years it could stay within the soil before breaking down. Wow. So we, we, our first idea was like, why don't we just go out, drive around to all the hair salons and just pick up their foil? We'll be like foil collectors. Yeah. <laughs> so that was our big plan. But we quickly realised the petrol outweighed the cost of actually collecting the foil. So right. we thought, no, let's really step back here. And why don't we get a little bit into a fantasy world? And we actually set out on a plan to create a fantasy business plan about what is it we want to wake up to tomorrow? So not just about recycling, but we want to be part of a community. We want to be part of uh, charities, but we also want to drive a profitable business. So that's really what Sustainable Salons is. It was a, it was a fantasy business plan written over 10 years ago about really trying to uh, not only be the greenest organisation within the hairdressing industry, but also to be something we want to wake up to every day. Mm. And, uh, and to p- really put Sustainable Salons into a nutshell, what is it today? It's a comprehensive resource recovery service we're designed specifically for the salon environment. Mm-hmm. We reward salons for being part of the program. And everything that we collect out of the bins, so all the waste materials, we then redirect those back into local communities and charitable programs through all these really unique initiatives that we put on. So can you unpack that? Because you said the aluminium. Yeah. Um, what else do you collect? <laughs> we collect uh, everything. Uh, so what don't we collect is sometimes the funny way of looking at it. But um, So in our salons, we have a, we have a metals bin. We have a plastics bin, a paper bin, a hair bin, uh, which is kind of rare, which is, gets very hairy, those stories. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a chemical bucket, razor tin, and we've got all the other what we call uh, weird shit items because people like to give us weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets weird in hair salons, I can say that. Yeah, uh, so, but that's everything from ink cartridges to just mirrors to weird items that just don't go through any service, but we try to really find a home, a second home for it. So that takes up about 95% of the waste we can take from salons. It was interesting. You mentioned the other day that you uh, you collect, I think, something like forty. You've collected enough for forty three thousand uh, ponytails. Yeah, or forty three thousand ponytails. Well, to give you the current stats, because it's been a massive year this year. Uh, the stats are coming out for early January. We're now up to ninety thousand ponytails now collected, uh, which puts us probably in the world's largest donor for ponytails to the medical wig market. Wow. Yeah. So just explain what you do with those ponytails and well, what and what are they worth? Because I. I've, <laughs> I think they're worth quite a bit, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. People have no idea. So let's maybe first talk about the problem. I call it okay. <laughs> the Paris Hilton problem, right? Because yeah. <laughs> it really goes back about nearly 15 years when uh, hair extensions all of a sudden became popular. Paris Hilton was a big part of that, wearing her extensions and all the young girls wanted to get them. So she wasn't really the problem, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> basically... Uh, uh, before hair extensions, uh, wigs were quite cheap. You could buy them for about two, $3,000, which is reasonably cheap. There's a lot of labour that goes into making a wig. Mm-hmm. But as soon as hair extensions came into play, all this good quality hair now needed to go to this commercial market. You know? So the whole world now wanted to have you know, all this longer hair. Mm-hmm. So the wig price went from now being you know, what would essentially be $1,000 worth of hair to nearly $10,000 worth of hair. Wow. You know, so a wig, if a parent was going, let's say your child had alopecia and you wanted to go buy a wig, well, what was once now two, 2000 could be anywhere up to fourteen dollars to $18,000 a wig. Crikey. Yeah, so we saw this as a huge problem and uh, Evelina and I thought, well, how can we solve this, you know? So we really looked at, first of all, what was the problem? I'll tell you one of the fascinating things as me being a hairdresser. I asked myself, have I ever sent in a ponytail, right? So I've been a hairdresser for, what, well over 25 years, 30 years, and I'm thinking, I've never sent one in. So I asked all my friends, I said, have you sent in a ponytail? They said, oh, yeah, 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 I sent in one. I said, no, wait a second, 
did the client just come in and say, cut off my hair because I'm donating it? They said, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Mm. I said, so you never recognised a ponytail and then thought, okay, I'll tell the client I'm just going to cut it off first before the haircut just so we can donate off the hair that's good and then we'll mm. proceed with your haircut. And they said, no, I've never done that. So we thought, there's the problem. They're not mm. being educated. Hairdressers don't know how to spot it. And, you know, we're in the hair business. We're the people that have to be sending this in. So mm. we just turn this on its head and then within just a, a very short period of time and I, I can tell you the first three months when we collected the first hundred ponytails, man, Evelina and I are walking around the office high-fiving like, we're killing it, we've got a hundred ponytails. We thought we were on like cloud nine and then like six months later we're like, you know, at 2,000 then after that we're at 10,000 and wow. now we're at 90,000 ponytails in just uh, uh, over four years. We're like, wow. wow, it's like we've really taken off in this space and now we've become a key partner to supplying that hair and when we supply it, it's all free and it reduces the cost by nearly 50% uh, for that parent now to purchase that wig. Wow, that's incredible, yeah. isn't it? So hair is actually nearly value, more valuable than gold per gram. What was happening with the hair previously? So the hair would just be thrown in the bin. And then what, in the hair landfill? Salon, landfill. Oh, my God. It's funny when you think about it, right? It's just waste. You just There's so many items that we use every day that we just throw in the bin. We just have no idea that that's a resource. yeah. Well, you just think of all these people around the world kind of grow. It's like a hair farm, isn't it? You're just eating, hey. hair grows, head <laughs> off, it keeps coming. It's like grass. Yeah, it like sheep, growing. I guess. That's like. it. I always make the joke of a sheep where we look at uh, a sheep 200 years ago and we're thinking, okay, it's good meat. And then today we have Ugg boots. Yeah. You don't think of that really half the time. You're like, yeah, well, maybe we need to do the same thing with hair. Yeah. And um, what else do you do with the hair? Yeah, so we, we cut hair into two groups. So you've got ponytails, which has already got a commodity, so mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a valued product. But then you've got hair clippings. And that's where we, we also thought, well, let's see if we can solve this problem. So currently right now, all hair around the world is just landfill. Gets cut off your head in a hair salon, thrown into landfill. So we're thinking, well, hair actually could be, it should be a pretty interesting resource to study, right? So we, 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 we got a university involved four years ago at UTS here in Sydney and said, well, we want to put a challenge to you to... See, can we turn hair clippings into a commodity? So we started studying hair and what it was. And what came out of this really fast was hair is an amazing absorbent for oil. We know this when we shampoo our hair. Basically, we're trying to take off the oil. So we thought, well, why don't we just use the hair in the reverse to soak up the oil? Mm. And uh, honestly, that project has now turned into a very large project where we're now uh, studied over four years of hair soaking up oil spills. And uh, now for the first time, we've got them uh, in commercial use so they can be purchased. Mm -hmm. And they're called hair booms. And uh, yeah, we're off cleaning up oil spills. Amazing. Um, what else? So foil, hair... Obviously, there's a lot of plastic with plastic shampoo bottles, etc. Plastic. And you, what have you done recently with that? Yeah, look, plastic is, it's one of those funny ones. Everyone says, ah, oh, plastic's the devil, plastic's this. And I try to tell people, look, plastic is bad, but it's also our future. So we need to rethink the way we look at plastic because plastic is probably never going to go anywhere. It's, it's such a smart uh, resource that can be uh, used in so many applications. The problem is, is where's it all going? You know, all you need to do to fix the plastic problem is to have a, a, a source of where the plastic ends up so you can get it straight back into manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So, for example, what we're doing is one of our latest projects is we're turning thousands of shampoo bottles just into glassware. Mm -hmm. You know, with Dresden, uh, one of the, an organisation here in Australia who's got stores in Australia, New Zealand and Canada, basically uh, wanted to take up this crazy idea with us and we, we said, well, why don't we just, you know, clean off a whole bunch of shampoo bottles and just flip them back into your glasses and then sell them and, and do the whole manufacturing process in Australia. 
Mm. You know, I, I really like showing people that you can do the whole thing without sending anything abroad because we're so being trained to think that, oh, we've got to do manufacturing overseas. Yeah, yeah. You know, China does all the manufacturing. No, we can do it here. Yeah. So the reality is, is plastic can be turned from a waste product, which is worth nothing, a shampoo bottle that's already been used. What's that worth, right? Cents, you know, but you can flip that into a $50 pair of sunglasses. Yeah. You know, the markup's huge. So I, I try to show business people there is a financial benefit to flipping these items. Right. It's, it's so cool that you're doing that. I mean, it's really, it's not recycling. It's, it's, it's focusing on the circular economy. Oh, totally. We, we oh. don't even see ourselves as recyclers, by the way. Hmm. You know, next year the hashtag's coming out, you know, not just recycling. Because I think yeah. people have to realise this is, this is above ground mining in so many ways where we're targeting waste materials uh, just like the mining industry is targeting its resources to go straight into our products that we use today. We're, we're no different. Mm. And you don't have a salon, do you? No, no. Had a salon years ago. Yeah, yeah. Today, uh, with you did, the, you did the smart thing getting out. <laughs> Look, to be honest, I miss hairdressing so much because that was the one thing I was good at. <laughs> but uh, other than that, like, uh, yeah, I think, look, I, I, I do have a salon in the depot at the moment. So uh, I cut all my staff's hair and, and my mum still gets a haircut in oh, one of the depots. That's sweet. <laughs> Can't avoid that. But I think that uh, you, you mentioned the other day when I heard you at this talk about it's all about the story. You're very passionate. You're very focused and... Um, you know, the, the content, the story is, is what it's all about. Can you unpack that? Oh, this is, this is really close to my heart about, about understanding when you're going to go out and do something. Because you know what really breaks my heart a lot of the time when I see people who have done groundbreaking work but have no ability how to get that story out there for people to recognise it, to really grow. But they say, oh, it's not about that. It's just about me making sure that I, you know, tick all my boxes. I say, yeah, but if no one knows then where's this going to go? And, yeah. and, and I've had great experiences by getting my story out and how many people it's reached and how, how much it's, it's stimulated my business to, to grow uh, uh, faster. So I, I, I've really broken this down into now just storytelling in so many ways. I tell my marketing team all the time, guys, we're in the storytelling business. You know, you really have to understand when we are going to go out and do one of these great projects is how we're going to tell that story. And you have to really break that down today because so many people um, – one of the best analogies I actually heard about this was at Silicon Valley is how they try to get people over the age of, of 50 to build, uh, to build applications, right? They realise that you can't give them intellectual ways of reading. You actually got to break it down to a four-year-old's level for a person over 50 to actually feel confident enough to click through an app, right? Because they, you know, they're very nervous every time they click something yeah. that they're going to buy something. So I've actually done the similar thing is how we've approached now, how we're trying to talk to our clients is you've got a very short uh, attention span, try to make it like a storybook, make it very easy to understand. And if they truly get interested, they can click on through to the finer content and get to, you know, the university papers and all that. But in the short term, no one's going to read all that. So storytelling has to be done in a very specific way to get a message across. And uh, are we good at it? Look, uh, me and my partner, Evelina, are always like, we're never, we're never good enough. <laughs> so uh, we're always challenging ourselves to get better at storytelling. There's some incredible stats, too, around, uh, you know, Sustainable Salons has kept 89,900 kilograms of plastic salon waste out of, in, in circulation yeah. and out of landfill. Yeah. Um, what other stats have you got? You've got, like, 90,000 ponytails, 89,000 kilograms of plastic. Um, also around 
who you employ too, because you yeah. you got a, an interesting approach to that as well. Yeah. Well, we always said, well, what's what's really important to us? So we always break it back to what do we want to wake up to? And I think um, something that uh, meant a lot to Evelina and I is is our country's most vulnerable. Can we can we provide jobs to those who really need work, who would appreciate the work, and uh, and uh, basically uh, that we're not going to judge them, you know, within the process. So uh, we going back nearly three and a half years, we opened up our first relationship with a disability centre in Queensland called Endeavour, and uh, this relationship just took off straight away. Um, we went through a lot of trial and error. Uh, so this was basically having our whole facility in Queensland operated with people with disability. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to see what problems were going to occur. Could we have the, the guys in the vans? Could they go visit our salons? Could they basically operate the machinery? So on and so on. And uh, we had to get through a lot of uh, hiccups in the early days, but we got through all that. And today, that relationship is still there today, growing very strong in Queensland. And it's continued on now in Melbourne with another organisation called Member In. Uh, we continued that to another organisation now in Perth called WorkPower. And we're very proud to be doing our fourth, uh, uh, our fourth depot with people with disability in Christchurch in early March next year. So over 35% of our workforce now are people with disability. And uh, that's a really proud moment for Evelina and I because we've now found a way to uh, not only scale our project, uh, our program to other states, but provide jobs to those local areas too, to the most vulnerable. Bloody hell. <laughs> Amazing. Um, obviously, you, you get called in. You did that talk the other day at Woolworths. I presume you get talk, pulled in to talk at a whole bunch of events and other organisations. What are the challenges um, you've faced in, in, in working with other businesses around the shift around their sustainable journey or, or helping them to understand the vitality of the importance of that, et cetera? Yeah, this is, um, this is interesting. So for the last year and a half, we've had a lot of uh, government, uh, private uh, entities reaching out to us and big ones too. And they're, they're saying, oh, look, do you want to come and write a, 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 a five-year plan for us on our sustainability mission? I'm, some of these organisations, I'm like, you're so big. Like you guys have got, you know, billions of dollars being pumped into your organisations mm. each year either from government or you're a private entity that's making billions of dollars. Mm. I'm like, you need my help? Yeah. And, and, and then I stopped to realise I, I can see where the problem is, is that they've had a very linear approach to doing business for so long and now this whole circular, which this word circular I find very funny because that word uh, 10 years ago was just called cradle to cradle. <laughs> now it's all circular economy. It's yeah. like the word has, it's not new, I, I tell a lot of people, but saying that it, it's a very unique way of doing business. It's thinking about both ends. It's thinking about how do you produce the product and how do you actually have that product coming out the other end that can come straight back into manufacturing as its resource again and around and around you go, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've had some organisations reach out. Yes, I speak at a lot of different conferences and what I've learned from all of this is that is we're all in this together. And, and I can see where their problems lie. Because they've had this linear approach of a relationship with their supplier, they've never thought about the other end at all. And what I'm doing is opening their eyes to the possibilities of how you can actually create a circular business model with inside your business model without losing any of your profits. And if anything, increasing your profits immensely. And why? It's called the conscious consumer. There is yeah, a consumer exactly. out there today that is just peaking to purchase items not based on the brand but on its values. And value purchasing is, 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 I think, going outside the roof at the moment. And big companies now are struggling, whether you're a Woolworths or a bank or even a, a government entity, you're struggling to realise who exactly is that person. And what I remind them, it's, I say to them, it's probably your kids. 
<laughs> you know, where you laugh at your kids saying, oh, it's all about, you know, trying to save the earth and you see what's happening with Greta at the moment, all these yeah, young yeah. kids. And I say, well, these are the future purchasers. They're the conscious consumers. Yeah. So you actually should go and talk to them and say, well, how can I get you in my store? So one of the ways I approach that is, is by doing those case studies. And, and I always remind these brands, I say, you can get me back in your store if you build values that are truly there, that they're not just put there for marketing purposes. Mm. It's interesting because in our company here at Frost Collective, we are uh, constantly being connected with um, organizations, whether it's a startup or a big organization and everything in between. Yep. We actually are going, okay, what do we do? What do we do? We know we got to do it. We need we need advice and we need help around that. Yeah, it's a really exciting time because we've been talking about it for years. Yeah, and now, especially with I mean, even locally, just the fires and the the terrible smoke that's happened locally. But I mean, every, you listen to the radio, watch TV. It's like every every few minutes, there's it's all about the kind of the environment as it should be. About um, bloody time. Yeah, about. I mean, <laughs> maybe it's too late. But, oh, and, you know. and that's right. And and Evelina and I, we talk about this a lot. Yeah. Are we already at the back end of all this? You know, it's it, when when you're in our circles and you start hearing about, you know, we've we're, we're, we've passed a lot of lines. That you know, the 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 alarm bells were raised years ago in so many areas, and and we're all just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we're doing our best. And you see what's happening in Europe, and they're they're trying to put policies in place, but big lobbyists and big entities are fighting tooth and nail to keep their traditional businesses alive and and if we keep going down this trajectory yeah we're we're destined for doom have we already crossed that line in some areas we already have you only have to look at the plastic in the ocean problem and honestly it's it's next level we are looking at having more plastic in our oceans than fish and if people today think that they're not actually eating that plastic now within their fish diets is you've got to be bonkers, mm. right? Even bird life. Go and cu- see what's happening in the bird life Did now. you watch that show last night on SBS? Oh. Did you? I, I, I watched the uh, commercial part. Of it. I'm gonna, I've taped it and I'm going to uh, watch okay. it. okay. Yeah. Mate, I mean, doesn't it blow your mind? Scary. really is. I mean, it's just... I mean, it comes down to... I mean, the thing is, I, I guess we want, what we want is people not to think, well, it's just too late, so why bother? Or what... That it's the big organization's responsibility, which yes, it is. Yeah. But what can the individual do? Yeah, well, honestly, it's simple right now, and 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 the, the conscious consumer knows it. It's like you know what I'm I'm buying on values. You know how I tell people mm. to go and spend their dollars today. Yeah. I say every time you go and spend a dollar, that's a vote. So yeah. where are you putting your votes Good point. today? Good point. Right, you're gonna. I walk into my shopping center, and I've got the I've got the traditional supermarkets there, and I've got the local butchers and all this, and I'm like, where do I want to vote today? Mm. And it's a very interesting way to purchase. I'm like, I want to support my local deli. I want to support this, and I'm making conscious decisions. Even on meat now, I love eating meat, but I've wiped out eighty percent of it off my diet because I don't want it to become a staple. Yeah. I want things. I want to start to appreciate everything again. Yeah. And uh, honestly, it makes you just feel so good. You know, you're supporting the local community. You're getting to know your local shop owners. And I think when you start talking to people now, they're just like, you know what? I can't see myself going back. And I think I think it's just great. Yeah, I mean, there's shops popping up that uh, are, you know, grabbing it and just going, you know what? No more plastic straws. No more plastic cups. Yeah. You know, we don't serve coffee. Coffee. You know, we don't do take away coffee cups and all that kind of stuff. Have um, you ever gone to ask them? Are they losing any profits from that? Oh, they're getting more people. That's right. Uh, coming. I had a coffee guy the other day. He was like, oh, mate, I'm not going to put it in your keeper cup. I was like, what? I was like, dude, he's like, and I'm like, I'm saving you money. How can you wow. not want to? What was put- his reason? His reason was he's like, I mean, I'm so busy. Just just go with the cups that I've got. Oh. I'm like, Ouch. dude. 
wants his brand walking <laughs> around probably. And if he wasn't the owner, I would and uh, I would be and I find out one of my stuff like I was be, I'll be furious. I'm like, guys, we we go that extra distance. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter the client. It's about making sure that we're we're doing what's right. I mean, as a design company, and there are millions of design companies around the world, we have a responsibility to ensure that we are um, specifying the right material or yeah. less material or advising our clients on doing the right thing. For a long time, um, I think a lot of designers were just making stuff look beautiful. Yeah. Um, the more foils and embellishments, the better. And quite often it's for the individual's portfolio, you know, to show a client or a potential employee of what they've done. Um, not thinking that, you know, it could be tens of thousands, if not millions of these things that they've specified out there in the world. Yeah. Um, how do you think designers for example, should be more, become much more aware of that? Well, one of the first areas I always say to any organisation who didn't have this in their past history, right, and you're now adding it in, mm. is that is you've got to make it core. It's got to become one of your pillars. It's, it's why you even attract your next type of client, is why they're coming to you. Because if you truly want to get behind this, there's no point going half-assed. It's just like, guys, we are going to challenge you. We're going to push you. So as the client comes in, you're really pushing that message to them saying, we're going to challenge you guys to think a certain way, uh, not because maybe you want it right now. It's because the whole world's moving this. So it's having a very strong policy to them, showing the trajectory of a lot of clients because some of them don't even know. These big companies sometimes don't even know just how important these conscious consumers are. Like yeah. when Google reached out to us recently to tell us about where we sit now within the stats of the consumer looking for a hair salon, now people have no idea sustainability just took over Belliage after four years now Belliage was the number one google you know salon now it's environmental sustainability and and what and is Belliage? Belliage is when the girls have that highlight effect halfway down the head oh yeah oh yeah that's that that's the golden egg for hairdressers at the moments where ah. they're making lots of money and right, right. and uh, it kind of gives the girl this like you know it's not, it looks like regrowth yeah yeah exactly <laughs> It's the regrowth look. Yeah. It's like, what, a year's worth of regrowth. It's like, so it's the dark bit down the bottom. So, so as soon as you finish the colour, you can already tell them, well, you can come back next week for another bit to touch it up even more. Oh, so it never ends, really. Yeah. It's like, because uh, when you do colour right at the roots, you've got to wait four weeks to get the regrowth. Now we've yeah. already got a huge regrowth to play with day in, day out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I gave away some hairdressing secrets. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, sometimes I say to companies, put it in as a policy. That's number one. Uh, and then, and then, as as an organisation, start to develop. Well, what is our mission? Where would we like to see uh, design in the next twenty years go? And and then you're going to draw in a whole new type of client that just says, "You guys obviously get it. You obviously understand how important this is. We need to get it right." As a design agency, you're now drawing them in, and now you can basically set them on a bit of a pathway. We're not really saying we're not going to, you know, change your whole world. We're not here to change your whole brand on the shelf, but we are going to set you on the pathway to start talking about it. Yeah. And probably even educate you a little bit on just how financially better it can actually be if you take these 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 decisions. Because yes, you might sometimes spend a little bit more on the packaging, but you're going to gain a lot more on the purchasing. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely noticed that that the, the, the customers are are asking for that. They they want to know what is the right thing to do. But don't um, you find it funny how you got to convince those top dogs like the the directors how they still don't get it sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, it's look, our packaging's. You know, 89 cents for that box. Why would we go up to 94 cents? And you're like, that's what you're thinking about? Like, 
That's well, not necessarily more though, is it? Why is it more? Oh, look, because sometimes when you, we're still in that transition stage in so many areas, like if you're going from traditional paper to SFC paper, like it, it will be a few cents more at the moment because we're, we're, we're transitioning it. I call it like the energy transition, like you see with Elon Musk and, and the Tesla vehicles. They're starting off expensive, but you can see just how quickly they're rapidly now becoming more cost effective than traditional cars. So the same thing's going to happen in all our worlds too, packaging, product design and and so forth and uh, it's just now about making sure that catches up with the consumer that's willing to pay for it mm. how do you track the, the impact of your business yeah that's a very interesting one because at the moment uh, someone said oh you guys should go get certified this and that i said guys we live it yeah. <laughs> you know when 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 you do it day in day out like uh, someone said to me the other day oh you're you're a circular business company and i said yeah well we never thought about that when we started it we just said what do we want to wake up to so we live and breathe and challenge ourselves every day it's like every time we um we launch something or do something in our in our organization it's always linking to our values it's not like we're now just adding this to, to sell more or do more. It's like, okay, how are we adding more benefit to the community? Because honestly, we could reduce tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of costs if we just took the cheaper option. But we choose to want to go employ people with disability, even though, yes, productivity might be down by 20 or 30% within that area. It's a, it's a conscious choice about why the value is it there. Now, someone will say to me, you're now losing money. But I said, yeah, but I'm gaining money because people are joining my program because of those values. Yeah. You get it, right? Yeah. There's, the, there's the kicker, you know, because someone said to me the other day, like, oh, you know, how do you sign up salons, all this? And I said, well, we, we go visit them. But I said, you know what the best part is? We haven't had to chase a lead since we started. Mm. Right? It's, so it's, people are coming to you. They come to us because they're reading the stories. Yeah. So storytelling is now kicked in. That storytelling is everything. Well, what's your uh, goals for the sustainable salons from 2020 and beyond? Oh, well, uh, that's a very good question. Some of the <laughs> – we've been uh, – uh, at the moment it's been uh, very focused on infrastructure. So we're a very infrastructure-heavy organisation. So it's not like um, you can just you know call up someone and get a product or service and off you go. And we're building the whole thing from end to end. Uh, everything from uh, controlling not only our whole office, of course, the marketing and all of that, and how the media goes down. We own all our depots and all the vehicles and infrastructure. So we've now up to our uh, sixth depot coming March next year, which covers now. 80% of Australia's mass and, and 80% of uh, New Zealand's mass. Uh, so uh, after this, we now want to focus on that last 20%, which is what we call regional, um, where it gets very complicated dealing with regional uh, recycling because of the distances. Mm. You know, we had to choose the bloody hardest country to do this in Australia. <laughs> like, you know, I tell someone it's, it's, like, it's like trying to get some material from Moscow to, to Portugal. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, that's the distance between Perth and Sydney. Wow. It's so vast. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that freight, you know, we're, we're really in the logistics game. So we, we definitely want to tackle the regional recycling because uh, we've got thousands of people want to join our program in regional areas. So we're going to get out to them. And then also we want to focus on, on also how we've noticed a lot of companies are coming to us, big, big entities, and, and they're, they're needing help. And, uh, and they want to link themselves and be more active in this space. So we're building mechanisms to allow them into our world where it's not going to be like advertising or anything like that because we don't care about any of that. We don't allow any advertising. But we do want to give a pathway to, to these companies to how to become very successful. Like you said, in the packaging, I think that's a really interesting one. I had a, 
a, a company come to me recently saying, well, how to rethink this. Mm. So we could give some insight to that and, uh, and then help pass them on to organisations just like yourselves to say, okay, these are people we trust because they will execute this correctly mm. and, and take you guys down the right pathway. Mm. And is it all, is it a private business? Yes. So, and how did you fund it? Is it you just the growth is just funded by the money you make from the <laughs> yeah, it's a, initiatives? It's a very funny question. So, we had no money when we started in my dad's garage in Castle Hill. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like literally, we had no money, and uh, I still remember bringing the first bags of waste from hair salons to my dad's garage. You know, and he's like, "What the hell is all this?" And you know, we started there, and and uh, I took some advice from someone a long time ago, and he said to me. Paul, if you're going to start a business and you want to be successful, you might have all these grand ambitions, but try to just think of one thing to do first. And if you can do that successfully, do two things. If you can do that successfully, do three things. So I took that philosophy and uh, basically we started just micro and we grew uh, gradually. We took on no investment from any banks. We we used all our own funds. So we started on about $10,000 and uh, literally just uh, grew this piece by piece. And uh, we we rely on less than 2% government funding. Uh, so we don't rely on it at all. We're very grateful for anything that we do get. And uh, we hope to try to keep this really contained as we grow. Um, mm-hmm. But um, look, as we grow, it does get a little bit more tricky because you need bigger and bigger funds. Uh, but today, yeah, we've, we've, kept it, we've kept it contained. Is your dad still around? Yeah, dad's still around. Is he happy you're out He's, of the garage? He still has no clue exactly what we do. <laughs> <laughs> he must be proud of you to see how that's grown from... Those kind of simple roots. He just thinks it's hilarious. He's like, because they come from a generation where they're like, people pay for this, right? Like, like why you not just put it in the bin? Why you got to put it uh, in, you know, I just think it's so funny when you think of the old school and they came from a time where they were coming out of poverty yeah. and now they're, they, they were like, you know, just so happy to have everything. Because remember, they were war, war kids, right, coming through. And now we're nothing we're, from Italy. That's right. We're coming full circle. And, and now it's like uh, you can see it coming. <clears throat> yeah, so look, it's, it's really interesting just how much uh, the, dyna- the dynamics are changing. And it's actually not that different in China at the moment. I don't know if you go to China much, but in China, they're all coming out of poverty, mm-hmm. right? So the first thing they want is everything to be new. They're not thinking about saving the planet yet or anything yeah. like that. They're like, save themselves. And I totally get it. Yeah. Um, but very quickly, they've got a middle class coming through. And the first thing they're thinking about is, you know, sustainability uh, as they purchase. Oh, there's something you mentioned also um, the other day was around you now getting into pet hair. <laughs> Can you unpack that a bit? Pooches. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so Sustainable Salon started off with hairdressing. We quickly, of course, then serviced uh, uh, barber shops and then that moved into beauty salons and then uh, organically we moved into pet groomers and it really happened organically because uh, we had a pet groomer reach out to us saying well why can't I join this program and I said um because you're a, a dog groomer <laughs> we we service hair salons and she was adamant about like what's the difference between a dog groomer and a hair salon and I said well I don't know they're dogs, and, and, and I couldn't get my head around why she wanted this so bad. And we get this a lot, all the time where people get really angry that they can't join our program. But I say, we don't, we don't service you. But she forced me into the back of this dog groomer salon she had in, uh, in Paddington there, and I still remember going in there, and, and she says, well, what's the difference? And I said, actually, what is the difference? <laughs> <laughs> you've got clippers, you've got shampoo, yeah. you've just got dogs. and, and, and we a lot more hair. Yeah, and then you look at the hair, and you know there's no difference between really 
dog's hair and human hair that much at all. It's it's pretty much identical. One's a little bit softer than the other. <laughs> That's about it. But the the ingredient itself is the same. So we just said, okay, we're in. Let's do this. And uh, the dog uh, grooming world is is lovely. They're very tight. They all know each other, and uh, and they've been very supportive to our program. And mm. and we're loving to having them on board. And when you exit, when your dog has been groomed at one of our sustainable dog groomers, you get a little tag where it says, you know, your doggy's been sustainably groomed by Katie. <laughs> oh. You know, to remind you that your dog has now gone through this extra what process. What do they do with the hair? So the hair just comes straight through our service. Not, not for wigs. No, no, no. We use it for our, our hair booms program for cleaning up oil spills mm. and our compost programs. Mm. Yeah, because it actually hair is fifty percent carbon, um, which is which is huge. It was one of the big discoveries we found that hair is full of carbon, which uh, might not sound like anything crazy, but it's big in in certain fields such as compost. Uh, where they need a lot of carbon at the moment. Um, and hair is also filled with uh, uh, nutrients. It's got yeah. keratin, amino acids, and so on. Didn't it used to be used in um, winemaking yeah. a long, long time ago? It, and we're rebirthing that right now because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, hair works in very unique ways within soil, adds a lot of nutrient to the soil. And uh, basically uh, to growing wines, even roses, you know, there's a whole fanatic community out there that say, oh, my roses are the reddest they've ever been because of the hair I get from the local hair salon. And I remember thinking, like, is this true? And, and we're studying it now. We really want to know, mm. is this true? Is it actually adding any real benefits? Wow. But don't worry, it's not going to be in your food. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. People start to think it's something like Lipton tea where it's been dunked in your food or something. I'll say, no, not really. But you know how weird it is that hair... In, in a few countries around the world, is actually used in food. Oh, you're joking. Yeah, it's true. It's not, And it's not that weird. It sounds weird, but... Well, it does, yeah. In China, they Because I used been to drive me crazy when I used to find where my mom's <laughs> hair is in my spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're sucking it in like that. You're like, wait a second, well, that's, a, that's not a so spaghetti. So what's the benefit for um, eating hair? Yeah, well, the ingredient... Uh, I can never say it right. Cellulite, if I get the ingredient exactly correct, but it's uh, basically to help prolong the life. So it's really good in breads, soy sauce, chocolate. So in China, Germany, they've been doing it for over 100 years in certain, in, certain, uh, in certain brands. And the hardest part is actually telling the consumer. But can I put it to you like... <laughs> I can, can imagine. Can I tell it to you like this? Is if you go to McDonald's and you get <laughs> your chicken nuggets, well, you're asking about that ingredient or are you just <laughs> eating it all up? I don't, I don't go there. Trust me. Yeah. I, I don't... Sometimes I don't know, you know... You know, what the hell's in there? That's right, right? What about the other one was a secret recipe? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Please, How no, can you possibly no have a secret recipe to, in this day and age? <laughs> you have no idea what's in there. Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit before about around um, what an individual could be doing, but what are your top three recommendations could give anybody wanting to, be, to live a more sustainable life? Yeah, that's a... So for, it's a really good question, right? So if... if it all, if you break this down to just your day-to-day, right? You're just your day-to-day, you're living, so it's not you don't own a business, you go to work, all these type of things. It's, you start to have to have values. I always say plug in some values because mm-hmm. you're probably already saying how much this means to you when you meet people that have um, certain you know, products where you're like, oh, that is so beautiful, but oh, it's an extra $3 or it's an extra this. You know, Can I say to people, start consuming less, and start consuming with values mm-hmm. and start buying things that matter. It's the Maria Kondo 
type way of thinking, right? We don't need all this extra in life, so reduce. Mm-hmm. You know, just start reducing. You feel better. You feel libera- liberated when you start getting things off your table and start purchasing better. That's where op shops are coming back into play. Mm. The quality's there. Yeah. So values are number one. So start purchasing based on values. The second one is actually start to take an interest in, in, in what's happening around you. You know, the planet at large, you know. For, for a lot of us, we're, we're just tuned into, you know, 7, 9 and 10, the usual media platforms. And you're not really getting sometimes a clear view. And I always say this when I meet politicians on the news that you only get to hear them say one line. But when you meet a politician, they actually get to give you the whole sentence or the whole paragraph mm-hmm. or everything and the contents to their information. Yeah. And I look at them in a different light. They actually do have true values in them, and you don't see that on the news. Yeah. So I say to people, take a, start taking a real interest, get to know what's happening, and stop turning a blind eye. So when you walk down the park and you see things thrown on the ground and rubbish around, just pick it up. Mm. Pick it up, put it in the bin, and start to take an interest in then the bins and read the bins, what can and can't go in that bin. Don't just treat them all the same. Mm. So take an interest. And then the last one is... When it comes to how do you uh, sometimes even uh, uh, start buying things, even for others, I don't need someone to give me a bottle of wine, but I'd love to get a card that says that I gave your money that I would have given to that wine, that $100, to someone that really needed it. Mm. That to me is just like, oh, that card just means so much more to me than another bottle of wine. Because I don't know about you, God, we're consuming a lot of shit these days. Yeah, I know, we are. It's interesting you mentioned that. I, I was I went for a ride uh, yesterday um, over into the north, um, and there was this guy, very slim guy, in like looked like he was like a long distance runner, had a headband and he had you know kind of a little top on with a number and stuff, and he was running along and he had like three sacks, white sacks, <laughs> bulging. I thought that's like is he Santa Claus? <laughs> I was going to say it's Santa. <laughs> And um, I watched him, and he kind of he was picking up bottles and glass and plastics and things on the road as he ran. And I said, "Mate, what are you doing?" And he said, "Oh, I go for a run every day. I just thought I'd start collecting stuff. There's so much junk along the way. I just every day pick something up, and it's turned into this, you know, sacks of it." Yeah. I thought, "Wow, what an amazing guy!" Oh, I got the same guy on my beach as well. Like you know, maybe I mean, the same guy. I mean, Marubra. Oh, you just. It's funny, when you start to notice, because uh, Evelina and I were so in tune with it, right, and we see all these people that are just doing it out of their own will. They're not trying to get any recognition for it. Yeah. I see this old man, he's walking up and down the beach all the time, and he treats it as his fitness. He actually says, like, I know, because I've talked to him, and he's like, oh, I just like, because it means I've got to get down, get up, get yeah, down, yeah. get up, and he says I fill up, uh, yeah, whole sacks full of, of plastic. And I don't know about you, when I look down the beach these days, I'm like, it is everywhere yeah when you're blindsided and you're just focusing on having fun you don't see it the minute mm. you start looking around you're like oh my god it's crazy yeah. i don't understand why locally we don't have um you know like in other places you get money for a bottle or yeah. a plastic yeah. bottle or a glass bottle re- re- refund yeah which has now finally kicked in and it's been very successful to see it finally come back to um to all the states in australia because uh you know, oh, it is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, ten, the 10 cents has finally come back. Um, it's return and earn. Uh, it's a big revenue raiser for us because all those proceeds we get, we give to Oz Harvest and Kiwi Harvest. But um, basically, uh, it's, it's, it, it should never have gone, you know. And, and now, it's still some countries like New Zealand are still fighting to have it installed again. Look, why it ever went, who knows. Oh, it's crazy. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um. How do you stay well yourself? Because obviously you're giving out a lot 
I know you're excited and passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, do you get times when you feel like, you know, deflated or tired or exhausted from running the business that you're doing? It's all built in, right? It's like um always feel I feel all of the above. Great, good, deflated. And I always say, but we built a business that we wanna do. That's the difference. Like this is not something I feel like I have to do. It's just something I want to do. So you really feel good about that. And when you design a whole business around that, and it doesn't matter whether you're a kebab shop or you're a furniture store, it's all the same. Once you build in all the right values, well, now you're working for a different purpose, you know, and I, I find that so exciting. So Evelina and I, yeah, every weekend when we come home, we've got all the usual stresses like, you know, of work, but then, you know, we also just stop and say, oh God, we hit some big targets there and look how much we smashed that. And God, yeah. we're doing so good over there. And, after a year or two and three, you're like, whoa, like you're really starting to make impact. And uh, and I was telling someone about this even with a burger shop the other day. He's like, oh, how do I make this? How do I be someone important? I said, why don't you just add a few more bucks on top of a burger and then use all those funds to just support a local initiative in your area? And it's like it blew his mind. He's like, oh, I've always thought it was all about the price of the burger, $5. And I said, no. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised. People like me, I'm looking for what is it you do? Yeah. I'm walking past going, does this burger shop actually do something that matters for the community? So I think that humbles you quite a lot once you start getting into that because you've got a lot of funds to now give. As long as he doesn't just pocket the funds. No, please don't pocket the funds. <laughs> hey, honestly, that's the, that's the toughest part when I talk to a lot of very liberal-minded owners because I, I always say when I go to government, they say, oh, what are you, a greenie? I said, no, 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 I'm a liberal green. He <laughs> 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 said, what's all that? Well, what does that mean? And I say, well, I don't know. Think more like Elon Musk. Start building products that save the planet, mm. that the consumer wants, that drive profits. Yeah. It's not rocket science. What, what are your values? What are my values? Um, you know, to, uh, to I, I love, I think business is great. I think there's, it's great to wake up with a purpose. You know, that's what work gives us is a purpose, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, 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 for me, the environment means everything. You know, it's just like, it, I just can't believe that we don't treat the environment as number one. Right, mm. it's like we live and breathe this every day. We take it for granted. I yeah, think you sometimes need a crisis for people to realize just how lucky we are, yeah. you know. And then also just how much you can give back, mm-hmm. and that's sustainability, right? People, planet, profit. Mm. It's it's adding. You can't just pick one. <laughs> You've got to choose all three yeah. and put them all together, so equal parts, and and plug it in. And you've designed an amazing business, which is everyone's benefiting from. Mm. Um, do you feel like you've designed your life? Yeah, pretty much. I, I feel like it in a business like this, it, it just gives you so many opportunities to go so many directions. Mm. And, uh, and uh, I get excited about what directions we can take it because at the moment, even, you know, we started off kind of essentially looking like a recycler. Now you're like, actually, we're, we're so much more than that today, mm. you know, and even we're trying to discover that uh, right now. We're, we're going through a new discovery phase of being like, okay, well, who are we now? And I think that's exciting. The business is changing itself, which keeps me engaged. Where do you think you'd be in 10 years? Oh, look, one of the, one of the exciting places I really want to be is, is in the, re, the resource itself and starting to become really kind of like um, a mining type organization where these materials that we're actually turning and manufacturing in-house so a great example of that is if you look at what's happening with SpaceX at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, Elon's got raw material coming in one end. This is done in LA and he's pushing out rockets at the other end. Mm. 
Mm. So raw material one end, rockets out the other. Like this is true manufacturing. And, and I've always said to my team, that's where we need to be. We need to be where the raw material's coming into the depot and we're outputting these items. So we don't have to send them off anymore and go to other places because that's what adds a lot of costs and complications and you've got to convince people of your ethics and your values and blah, 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 where we're like, guys, we can do all this. Mm. So um, I always say to keep thinking like that. How do we keep reducing all of those mechanisms so we can hold all the power? Because when you've got organisations like us that just want to do good, gosh, we could do tenfold in good if we could control all the mechanisms around us too. Ronnie Khan from Oz Harvester, which uh, you know well as well, ah, good legend. friend. Yeah. I mean, she just says that hopefully one day she won't have a job. <laughs> so, do, you know, what, what they are doing, hopefully that will kind of solve the go towards solving that problem. I guess that's yeah. any way... You too could contribute to that. Oh, t- look, for us, I think um, re- the uh, I want waste to stop, you know, because waste should be, yeah, it's a wasted word. Uh, it really needs to start becoming resource. Uh, and that's why I choose the words above ground mining yeah. because we're always going to keep consuming. We all want stuff. Yep. Like how can, it's like saying to someone like, uh, get rid of your whole house. Well, what are you living in, right? You know, no furniture, no TV. No, people want things. I get it. You know, we want to have happy lives and, and, and how do we live without Netflix? But um, mm. <laughs> basically, you know, I think we have to think a lot smarter in how we produce those products and we use those products and we start giving them these lives that, you know, they really become kind of like a life, uh, uh, like our own lives, like they're really cared for from yeah, end yeah, to yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, so, it's funny, ironically, yep. did you tell me you haven't washed your hair for 30 years? <laughs> yeah. So explain that because, <laughs> because that's a slightly hypocritical. It is. Everyone asks me that and I say, is it really? I studied hairdressing all my life. And, um, you know, it's funny because when I was uh, growing up, my hair was straight, right? It was dead straight. And then I got to about 18 and then, um, you know, the whole shaving the head was in, right? So I shaved my head and then it started growing back really curly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. You know, life change at the moment, um, uh, you know, and, and, and for a guy at that age, it's like, what products do I use and how do I reshape this and mould it? You're trying to straighten it. And yeah, I was, I was trying to straighten it. I'm washing it. I couldn't control it. It was out of control. <laughs> so I just look like this idiot. So I, I was on a mission to, to get a girlfriend, right? <laughs> oh, like, my God. So I'm like, wait a second. I, I remember every second, you know, when you wash your hair and they're about two days in, you're like, oh, my hair's so good right now, but I've got to wash it again because it's really itchy. Mm. And then it's like you get to perfect hair and then you wash it again and then that same cycle begins. So I thought, well, stuff this. <laughs> I'm just going to stop washing it. Yeah. And then I stopped washing it and then you go for like a month and then you're like, oh, my head's itchy. And then, of course, once you get to about that month, you start, you start researching. And back then, Google wasn't big, right? It was still, we were only just getting our first Hotmail addresses. So <laughs> good, Google wasn't big. And uh, so this was about 2000. And I thought, thinking, all right, well, let me look in some, and I had lots of history books, because I'm a collector of hairdressing mm. history, right? So I've got all these history of hairdressing, and I love collecting it. And I was realizing, wait a second, shampoo was only invented in the 1960s? Wow, really? Like, right? What did we do before that? Exactly. And I was thinking, okay, so the 1930s and 40s had some of the best hair that I've ever seen because I'm a classical hairdresser. Mm. I loved all that. Yeah. I, I was like, what are they doing? Just and wet it or what? They were. They were washing it with hot water yeah. and then they used cold water to close the cuticle. So hot water opens the cuticle. So if you ever yeah. want to wash your skin, you just use hot I water. Do occasionally. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you do wash, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you? I can smell. No. 
<laughs> not for 30 years. Hey, you know what the funniest part about this Don't tell is, me you don't brush your teeth either. Is, is, no, no, no. <laughs> hair unwashed is actually more clean than hair that is washed. Yeah, and I've heard if, that before. Can I give you this example? When you wash your hair as a girl, right? Girls are a good example because they've got longer hair. And if they wash their hair and they go into a nightclub, within seconds, they stink of smoke. Seconds. Like, they can't get it out of their hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just washed it, blow-dried it, the whole works. Clubs, you can't smoke in clubs, can hey, you? Back in the then old you could. days, yeah. Back yeah. then you could. Yeah. Uh, let's talk DCM days. Now, um, basically, uh, if I go in there with unwashed hair, you could have a cigarette in my hair for 12 hours and you, you can't smell it because the cuticle is locked closed. And I find that very fascinating. And I've always wondered, geez, that is a very interesting thing that's happening in my hair. The curls are super tight. They stay really strong. They never smell. They n- it never gets oily. You think your hair gets oily. It never gets oily. Once you get through that first two months of not washing, it just disappears. Mm-hmm. You know who you should listen to on this? It's Richard Glover on the ABC. He's, he's a huge uh, – it's called the no-poo movement. there's thousands of people hundreds of thousands around the world that don't wash their hair but um but look it's it's not for everyone look i know girls they love washing their hair i love guys they love washing hair and i say look keep washing your hair if that's what you really love you love it but uh, i do educate people that you don't you can reduce it quite a lot and it's actually more beneficial so my hair is gone although you know i haven't noticed i haven't noticed um so but you look good, by the is, way. Is that is that? Thank you. Is that um, because I overwashed it? There's two. There's two types of um, baldness. Uh, what what I see, you've got male pattern baldness and chemical baldness. Um, uh, so male pattern baldness is pretty much where uh, where you've got that from your heritage, you know, right the way through. Mm. And then there's another type which are called chemical baldness, which is you've just overloaded with too much stuff going on your skin. It's the same thing that happened with girls with cosmetics. You just start putting all these chemicals on your body. It's not helping you in any way. It's actually making mm. things a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've now become addicted. And the big problem in shampooing is, yeah, like if you're going to start putting shampoo on your hair on a very regular basis, like daily, and you, you're leaving it in there for a few seconds and you're letting it penetrate yeah. into your scalp, well, I can tell you now there was a, there's a lot more bald men today than there was 30 years ago. And if you go back 100 years, a bald man was like nearly one in every 20. Today it's nearly one in every three. I guess that's, that's where the stigma came from. Hey, we're all going to become cone heads at one stage, right? Yeah. So. Is that what you think I look like? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> On that note, bugger off. No, yeah, um, no it's interesting. I just think that, uh, well, maybe maybe we're getting better at, we're just going accepting it. That's right. Shave it off, whereas before people have comb overs and trying to hide it, disguise it. And today it's so accepted. Girls love it. Because back then, you go back 30 years, girls were like, oh, bald man. They, w- they couldn't see themselves with that man because they were thinking of their kids. But now it's like, bald men look better than men with hair. Yeah. Okay, not all guys with hair. Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> I wish I had your hair. Um, it's no, not it's, real. You know, it's a wig. Oh, is it? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, well, well disguised. So lastly, uh, where can our listeners find out about the salons you work with um, so they can get pampered? responsibly yeah look uh really simple uh so we're we've now become the number one directory service for consumers looking for hair salons to get their hair done so we're really proud we just got 
that title sustainable uh, ones sustainable salons yeah. yep so you just basically go to our website at sustainablesalons.org uh, we have a directory there which leads you into all of our businesses such as hair beauty dog groomers and you can find all of our salons in there and you can also find the salons that are promoting the Dresden campaign so maybe you want to get your next pair of spectacles from sh- what I call shampoo lenses you know and uh, basically uh, find our stores all there so please go and visit fantastic and what about um, internationally I mean I've are you guys working anywhere else in the world? Well, New Zealand's international. Yeah, kind <laughs> they're of. kind of like our. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Tassie, right? It's like have, yeah, you, been, have you been approached from anywhere else in the world? Lock. I mean, it must be it must be an opportunity for Huge. this to be happening everywhere. Yeah, we are. We're getting approached from around the world. The, the difficulty is with what we do. It's it's not like um, Pizza Hut where you know it's you, you can set up a franchise that just goes around the world. It's a very personalized. Uh, business that we put together and and it's infrastructure heavy so basically uh we we're going to take our time we're going to get the right partners in right areas and uh and slowly start to bring this to other countries and start to release kind of the way we do it because Mm. to be honest i'd like to see others taking some some lead and and this is also in australia and i'll give you an example of that is that basically we get it's not just hair salons and beauty that call us. We're getting thousands of small businesses, mm. uh, you know, kebab stores. Even, you know, I had a teeth whitening guy the other day call up and, and you know, from tattoo stores and they all want our service. Mm. And I'm like, guys, what makes us special is that we're, we're so comprehensive to the industries that we're, we're tackling. Mm. So someone else needs to take the baton to those industries and yeah, say, yeah. you know what, I'm really also going to use a similar model and just plug it in. And, uh, and I had a guy the other day from even a pool cleaning business. He says, I want all pool cleaners to change their attitudes and I want them all to use soft play. I'm like, man, you're the man. Mm. You're the guy that needs to lead this. Wow. You know, because you've got the passion and the drive because once you put this together, that's what that, this is what it needs. And, uh, yeah, so um, we do want to see growth, but uh, we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that we don't collapse because we're, we're employing a lot of people at the moment and we want to make sure that, you know, we're going to be around. So, mm. uh, yeah. Paul, totally inspiring. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Vince. I'm really, really excited. The next episode will begin a very special series in the collaboration with London's DNAD. We'll be deep diving into six winning projects from their Impact and Future Impact Awards discovering their drivers, inspirations, and their process behind creating change in the world for people, planet, and profit. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.